Today's episode of What's on Your Bookshelf is brought to you by Insignia Training Partners, the leaders in outsourced L&D talent and resources. Insignia is a full-service learning and development company that provides L&D talent to design, develop, and deploy your training solutions. Insignia specializes in providing the right resources for your projects at a fraction of the cost as opposed to bringing on new full-time employees. This includes fractional chief learning officer services for enterprise training strategy, instructional designers to develop your training content and materials, facilitators to deliver in-person or virtual training to your staff, LMS administrators to manage the process, virtual training producers to make sure your virtual training is engaging and effective, and coaches to support the learning after training is completed. If you don't have a training department, that's okay. Insignia can be your bolt-on training department. With Insignia, you get dedicated resources providing fractional services by specialists in their field. Whether it's onboarding new hires, upskilling your team, or ensuring compliance, Insignia designs impactful programs that stick. Visit insigniatraining.com to discover their full range of services and to schedule a free consultation. Insignia is your partner for training success. Welcome to What's on Your Bookshelf with your hosts, Denise Russo and Samantha Powell. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of What's on Your Bookshelf. This is a podcast where we are exploring the life and leadership lessons that we're learning through the books that are on our bookshelves. My name is Denise Russo, and I'm here with my co-host, Samantha Powell, and we are exploring the chapters and pages of the book Atomic Habits by James clear. Looking forward to another episode today with all of you. And if you've missed any of the episodes, you can always go back and listen in, but you don't have to just to get caught up to where we are today. Sam, it's so awesome to have you here again with me. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. So if I sound a little weird today, <laughs> bear with me, but um, but I'm doing good. I'm excited to, to talk about this next chapter and um, just some of the really interesting concepts that are in it. That sounds great. So could you give us a little bit of a summary of where we are in the book, Sam? Yep. So we are still inside the first law, which is make it obvious. And that's all based around the first part of habit formation, which is around cues. So we're talking about what are the cues that trigger you to then go have that craving, then take, you know, take the action and and then get the reward for it. So um, where we are now is chapter six, which is motivation is overrated. Environment often matters more. And this I recently heard James speak on uh, on this book um, in a recent conference. And um, this was one of the chapters that he really, really highlighted. I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go here. Um, so this is about, again, your cues, making things obvious, right? Because this is about how to form habits. So how do you make it obvious and environment really is a big a big key to that so Denise I know you had a thousand different thoughts and you and I've really been work I mean we've been living this and really working through it so I don't know tell me about this chapter tell me about you know what do you think about as this one kicks off well, you made a great comment about having just heard James at the conference that we both attended recently. And one of the things that struck me when you just said it 
is that I learned a lot from him, having seen him twice now this year and reading this book and talking through the chapters with you. But I still need something in my own life to be obvious for me to make sure that I'm not just starting a new habit, but that I'm cementing that habit and growing it and making it natural and subconscious for me. And I would definitely invite the listeners to check out James Clear on YouTube or Instagram, his LinkedIn page. He sends out a daily, very short little newsletter that you can get, which for me is always a great way to just start the day. It's obvious. It pops up in my inbox. It's short. It's easy to read. The environment that I try to surround myself with, and I know you do the same thing, Sam, is to put things in front of us that help us to be in a state of continuous learning. For sure. I subscribe to his newsletter too. It's really good. I know that this book has really uh, impacted you quite a bit. And it's funny because the way that he tells stories in the book really not only just bring the stories to life, but you can imagine what these scenarios are like. Like in this chapter, for example, he's talking about a story where there was an idea that a doctor had at a hospital because she wanted to improve the eating habits of the staff. And it's funny to think about because you would imagine that doctors and nurses who are there healing sick people would be very focused on healthy eating habits and healthy living. And yet I'll bet we could look up a bunch of research that says the opposite (laughs) of that. In fact, not long ago, Olivia was in the emergency room for something and we were there really super late at night. And when we, when I walked in, I was observing that because we were reading this chapter actually, I was observing that in the area where the staff was, there were all kinds of really unhealthy snacks. It was late at night, but the doctors and nurses, interestingly, the environment outside of the hospital bedroom where we were was a different environment. So we were in a room concerned about what was happening and how Olivia was feeling. But outside the room, there was laughter and it was the middle of the night and the lights were bright. So you couldn't tell it was the middle of the night. But at the same time, I saw all these really unhealthy snacks. And at one time they came in and asked Olivia if she wanted something to eat because she was starting to feel better. And the doctor walked in eating a bag of chips. And so it was just kind (laughs) of weird. But um. But in this story, going back to the story James talks about, is that's the way it is in a hospital. And so this one doctor in Boston wanted to create an environment where people had uh, better healthy choices inside the cafeteria. And so they first started by saying, well, okay, what things do we want to sell in the cafeteria? And they made some choices about that. But they realized that what they really needed to do was make the choices prominent and obvious. I think grocery stores have this down to a knack and toy stores for sure have this down to a knack of what (laughs) they want consumers to buy. And brands, you know, brands must pay, I would imagine, a lot of money to ensure that their brand is within eye level of shoppers. And in this case, in the story, they wanted water to be at the eye level prominent display for the people working in the hospital. So they still had other things for the workers to to drink and to eat. But what they noticed is that over a period of about three months, just by making it obvious and making an environment where people had access to the healthy stuff faster, the uh, soda or pop or whichever where part in the U.S. you live and what you call it, but let's just say the, the carbonated soft drinks 
they actually ended up selling less, over 11.5% less, but the sales of bottled water increased by more than 25% with just a small little tweak. And it just got me to thinking about how important it is to make these subliminal choices. I'll tell one more quick story and then I'll take a pause because I have lots of stories I can think around this idea. But I was recently at uh, at Epcot at the Magic Kingdom. I know if you listen to our podcast, you hear me constantly talking about Disney World, but it's truly magical. It's one of my most favorite places on earth. And so at Epcot and probably throughout the Magic Kingdom parks, if you purchase a kid's meal uh, to eat, the kid's meal automatically comes with a small bottle of water and an orange. So the environment is that you're there to have fun, but they make it obvious and personal that they're going to serve kids, yes, chicken nuggets and french fries and hamburgers, but they accompany it with water and oranges as part of the meal. So imagine if it was on the meal as optional, you probably, I would say, wouldn't order that. But they make it obvious. They create create an environment where they want kids to get into these subliminal habits of eating healthy. So that kind of stood out for me. So let me take a pause there, Sam. What are some things you're thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I think I I, I think that's exactly it is, you know, we see this all the time in how stores are designed, how things are designed, but it's these stories about just the way the environment is around you can change your behavior, right? And that's the point mm-hmm. that James is really trying to make here. He has a thing that, you know, talks about the end caps of grocery stores, right? Those things mm-hmm. that are on the ends of the aisles. And he said 45% of Coca-Cola sales comes from end of the aisle sales, which is crazy. When you think about how big Coca-Cola is, the biggest soft drink in the world. Like the fact that 45% of the sales come from end caps is nuts. And it just, it goes to show that we do, we behave so much depending on the environment, what's in front of us, those Mm. cues that are right there. And so this is why James is really stressing that the environment in which you live is the most important thing. He says the environment is the invisible hand that shapes human behavior. And if you really take a step back and think about it, like think about the last time you went to the grocery store and shop, like why did you buy some of the things you bought, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you're a list person, not a list person, I walk in with a list, but I always walk out with things that are not on the list. And if I really take a look at why did I buy the thing that I bought, it's because it was there. It was in front of me. It looked really appealing, right? It was you know, it was part of those visual cues on, hey, I should do this. And so therefore my behavior changed associated with what was around me. This is so good because it gets me to really thinking about the grocery store that I shop at. You're right. As soon as you walk in, the very first thing you hit are buy one, get one freeze. Mostly things you never thought you would want or need, but you think, oh, it's a deal. I have to have two bottles of barbecue sauce. So um <laughs> Right. And you then, don't even want one, but now you have but two. But now you have two. And now you, of course, have to go buy something to put it on top of. And when you get to the, the counter, also very interesting to think about as you weave your way to checking out what's there. Candy, gum, mm-hmm. soft yeah. drinks, really overpriced magazines. All of my gum purchases, for the most part, in a store have come from the, the cash checkout. register line. Wow. Like, I don't. I don't go to an aisle and look for gum specifically. I'm sitting there going, hmm, gum sounds good, <laughs> right? right? Or if you have 
like heaven forbid you have kids with you and they're like mom candy (laughs) right like I have said yes to candy I did not want to buy my son just because it was a lot easier than going through the whole meltdown process and it makes me really resentful (laughs) of the uh, candy checkout but you know but that's it right it's those it's those visual cues and I know you're really you're always into neuroscience and there's some interesting stuff that James has got in here about you know about visual cues I love this part because if you are someone who is not visually impaired and you're listening to this, James talks about how the human body has 11 million sensory receptors and approximately 10 million of those 11 are dedicated to sight. And some experts estimate that half of the brain's resources are actually used on vision. So even if we take the example of what you were just sharing, Sam, how many times have you pulled into a Starbucks just because it's there? Because you Mm -hmm. see it visually and you suddenly think to yourself, oh, I need coffee. Well, did you really need coffee? And could you make coffee for cents on the dollar at home or do you need a $6 coffee? Yep. Visual visual cues that you were talking to me when we were off the microphone about just how important it is by what you see when you walk into your office at work. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. After reading this chapter, right. And listening to James talk about the key to invite, you know, the key is oftentimes your environment. I, I cleaned up, I, I took everything out of my office and redid it. I was like, I, I would like to start some new habits. I would like to kind of get into a new mindset. So I physically changed the space. I rearranged where my desk sits. And so it's one of those things that when I visually walk into my office now, it looks different. And so it's like this, it's this visual reminder that I want to be different in mm-hmm. how I was previously behaving. So it reminds me that I have a habit checklist I'm going through in the morning, right? I've got a morning routine of, of stuff that I'm building towards, right? Which is all building towards an identity that I want to, I want to have. And so this visual cue reminds me that it's different. And then also my perspective in the room is different now because I had my, I have my desk in a totally different location. So now even just sitting here working, I'm looking at the world differently and it's really created an entirely different set of visual cues for me and um and James says in the book for you know a small change in what you can see can lead to a big shift in what you do as a result you can imagine how important it is to live and work in environments that are filled with productive cues and devoid of unproductive ones right so like sitting on my desk are the things that cue me into the day that I want to have, right? I've got my computer in front of me, obviously, like everybody else under the under the sun. But I have a coaster because I want to drink water all day long. I've got the daily journal that I write in just to do some journaling activities sitting on the desk. I have the two books that I'm, I have the Atomic Habits book because we're looking through it and I'm trying to live it. I also have the book that I'm leading, I'm learning from currently sitting on my desk along with my to-do list and all that kind of stuff, right? It's those visual cues in that space that's filled with all the productive cues and and the things that I want to be doing. And we've seen a big shift in like um, work environments, right? Office redesigns have been a big thing. Um, There's a bunch of, you know, change in how people were designing the office spaces. It used to all look one way, right? And I've worked in in buildings that were set up with, you know, cubicles and everything's gray, (laughs) you know, dreary and all that sort of good stuff. And then I've worked in newly designed buildings where they're set up and encourage collaboration, encourage you to work with people. Because when you're in the office, that's what they want you to do. Work with each other, help each other, that sort of thing. And so that visual cue of it 
you can see everybody, right? I can see my whole team. Therefore, it reminds me at some subconscious level, yeah, I should probably talk to them, right? I should probably, you know, and you're just naturally going to be doing the things that kind of make you more productive and do the behaviors that, you know, the company wants you to do, which is working together and collaborating Mm -hmm. and doing all that good stuff. And the point of all this that James is teaching is that you need to make an environment where there is ease and joy. I was uh, recently at a conference in Ireland, in Dublin, Ireland, and we were at a hotel. And the the conference rooms where we were having the meetings had the most amazing, incredible, nice coffee makers in the conference rooms. Like they were espresso makers, so not coffee makers. But I'll tell you what, if you were to ask anybody from the conference what they got most out of the conference, even though the conference was amazing, the topics were incredible, the collaborations were fun and igniting, and we had a lot of results and just momentum. I think the number one thing people would say is, the coffee was amazing and the coffee pots were so cool. <laughs> so much so that some of us went back to the internet outside of one of our meetings to look up how we could buy this coffee pot. Well, another interesting thing about the hotel was they had the most incredible hair dryers. Now, if you don't have any hair, this won't help you. But I will say that being a short hair person, you would think that short hair, you don't really have a lot to have to take care of, but you sort of have a different way to have to take care of your hair because you have to style it. And so there were these amazing hair dryers in the room created by Dyson. And I was sharing with somebody, I I have to get this hair dryer. It's like the best hair dryer I've ever used. And here I was just in a hotel room, went home, looked up the hair dryer. It's like, $500 $500 for the hairdryer. So I said, no, <laughs> I it's, yep. it's literally cheaper to go stay at the hotel to dry my hair than to buy the hairdryer. <laughs> well, isn't that ironic? They must have gotten it? a good deal on those hairdryers. Yeah. So it's the environment and how you set it up. In fact, I don't know if you have this in Pittsburgh, but we have it here in Florida. But have you ever heard of this gas station called Bucky's? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So it's that for those of you that aren't familiar, it's this gigantic gas station, like dozens and dozens of gas pumps. They have just dozens and dozens of coolers that sell ice. And it's like a Walmart for gas. You can go in and literally you could pay for your gas, buy a bearskin rug and get a Coke at the checkout lane. I mean, it's incredibly huge inside. But one of the things that they're known for interestingly, is their bathrooms. Because think about it, you've got hundreds of people coming from all over the country, driving here and there, and they're probably coming in for a snack, but they likely have to also go to the bathroom. And you know how gross it is when you feel like you're going somewhere and the bathroom's (laughs) dirty and dank and like flickering lights and it's just gross. Well, Bucky's prides themselves on their bathrooms. So when you walk into the bathroom, the first thing you see is like expensive artwork with the price tags hanging on the artwork that you can buy. And then you go in and they have some sort of scent infused going through the bathroom so it doesn't smell like, you know, bathroom. And it's just, it makes you feel like it's clean. There's constantly a person in there cleaning out the bathroom. And it's the environment that was designed for success because now people will always go back thinking, oh, there's a Bucky's. Suddenly I want to have a Coke and go to the bathroom. Or I guess Pepsi, depends on where you live. <laughs> so redesigning yeah. your environment. Yeah. Um, you know, James gives a couple of ways to redesign it. Do you want to share what some of those are, Sam? 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, he gives you some some big things, right? Because his big thing is if you want to make a habit a big part of your life, make the cue a big part of your environment. The most persistent behaviors usually have multiple cues. So he gives an example of, you know, if you want to remember to take your medication each night, put the pill bottle directly next to the faucet in the bathroom counter, right? If you want to practice the guitar more frequently, place the guitar stand in the middle of your living room, right? And so it's this put the thing where you where you might you know, do the activity, right? Like I know like for me in my, like my bathroom at night, right. There's, you know, I've got a list of things that I do every single night, right. I take my contacts out. I wash my face. I brush my teeth. I floss now. Right. Like all of that. <laughs> and so it's putting the thing there so that that's the cue, right. Cause my habit is I walk into like at night, I walk into my bedroom, I put down a glass of water and then I walk over to my sink and I don't get lost because I know exactly what I have to do. It's these five things every night and they're right there. They're they're visually out in the open and, you know, in an easy way to do it. Same thing with my desk, right? Like I want to, you know, do certain things. So those things are sitting right here on my desk because even if I were to happen to forget them in the moment I wanted to normally do them, I'm going to remember because it's I will see it. It's sitting there. So uh, John Maxwell says that intentions without actions are meaningless. And so this has to be where you couple it with taking action on the habit. Like I'm going to share an opposite bad story. So next to my bed, I have a Bowflex. It's awesome. It's decorated like the University of Florida, which was just announced as the number one university in the nation this week by Wall Street Journal. So little plug, go Gators. But this <laughs> thing is next to my bed. And you would imagine that it's visible, right? The environment is that it's right there reminding me I need to stand on this thing and exercise. But I have not created the habit of doing anything outside of the intention of having it there. So you may have a design for something you want to create a habit for. But if there's not ease and joy, you may not adopt the habit. So it gets me to thinking, I probably need to turn it a little bit because it's a little bit awkward the way it's set up where I would have to walk behind it to actually step on it. So I'm sort of thinking if I turn it just a little bit, the environment is already there, but the design isn't right, that if I turn it to make it easier to step on and just right from bed do that before I do anything else, I think I need to do that. The book says that cues that trigger a habit can start out very specific, but over time, your habits become associated not with a single trigger, but with the entire context surrounding the behavior. So you talking about your bathroom has got me motivated now to, to rearrange my bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's interesting, right? Because like I'm thinking as you're talking about that, I'm I'm looking over <laughs> my workout equipment, home workout equipment is right, right next to me, 10 feet away. Um, but it's off to the side. It's organized nice. And so it is very easy for me to do it, right? And we're in the make it obvious section. We're in law one, make it obvious. And so, right, if I really wanted to start lifting my weights that are over there, I need to trip over them, literally put mm. them in the way. And that's like when we're talking about putting like redesigning your environment to 
get to the habits that you want to get. I mean, you want to make them so obvious you're literally tripping over them, right? Like you mm-hmm. couldn't work past something, right? Like same thing. I had a, you know, I had a piece of gym equipment in my office for a long time, right? But it was in a corner out of the way, right? It was easy to throw, you know, something we were drying from the clothes, like right next to it. But if it was in the middle of the space, right? Where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm tripping over this stupid thing. Like it, or, or it annoys you, it's your reminder. And like, that's the level of make it obvious. We're really really talking about. That's the kind of environment you're really trying to set up is that it's persistent, right? When the hospital put out water, Uh they only... They put it everywhere. So it wasn't one cue. It wasn't, oh, hey, here's some water. It was everywhere you turned. There was water everywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then all of a sudden people do it, right? We don't take a cue because we see it one time. We take it because we see it over and over and over again, right? Like that's how I tend to stop. (laughs) It's like, you know, I might see something once and I'm like, yeah, that sounds nice. But if I see it again and again and again, then I'm like, hmm, okay, (laughs) Maybe maybe I need it. So when we talk about really adjusting your environment. And and James calls this like being the architect of your life and the designer of your world. It's that like, we're making it super obvious, crazy, crazy obvious, especially when you're trying something new. Yeah, absolutely. I think if I were to think of one thing that I took away from reading this chapter, Sam, it sort of harkens back to a book that we continuously are referencing. We're going to have to do this book soon. It's the Marie Kondo book about the life-changing magic of tidying up. What I got out of this chapter and also out of Marie's book is that if you can clean up the clutter, and I don't just mean things, it could mean your mind, it could mean your relationships, it could mean things that you'll have better clarity because James says that you need to stop thinking about your environment as filled with objects and start thinking about it as filled with relationships. And how much better would our lives be if you could clear out all of the things that just don't matter? In fact, uh, Rob and Steve Schallenberger have a book called Do What Matters Most. Well, to do what matters most, you need to stop doing things that matter the least. And the way to do that is to clean out the clutter and to really focus on what matters the most and who matters the most. So for Sam, for you, what was something that you took away from this chapter? Mm, yeah, I loved what you just talked about. <clears throat> I think it's the, um, oh gosh, I really think it's probably the setting your environment up for success in a way that is horrendously obvious, right? Like kind of what mm-hmm. we're just what just talking about, right? It's the tripping over it. It's almost making it obnoxiously in your way to make it happen. And that and that doesn't just count as like the objects too, right? Like you said, like it's about a relationship. And sometimes that can be people. It's surrounding yourself with those people, right? If I wanted to become a gym rat and work out all the time, I probably need to befriend some people who are mm-hmm. also like that, right? So that the things I'm seeing online, the things that I'm, you know, that when I'm talking to people, I hear them say, oh yeah, I went to the gym today. And it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Gym today. That's what I wanted to do. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's that, it's that how do you increase the physical and mental environment around you and, and relational environment around you mm-hmm. to make it so glaringly obvious that you, if, even if you miss it once, <laughs> you're not going to miss it the whole day, right? You're you're going to come across that thing that you really are trying to build until it's second nature, right? And then you don't have to trip over it. You go to seek that thing out eventually. We're just in stage one, trying to make it obvious to build a foundation to go off of. 
Absolutely. Well, next time that we get together, we're going to talk about how to have these habits that we're creating not become habitual bad ones and to how to have the secret to self-control. So until then, thanks for joining us this week. Sam, I've enjoyed talking with you. I'm looking forward to the next time when we go through the last chapter of this first law. We have a long way to go in the book. And so friends, thank you for subscribing. We hope that you'll share our podcast, like it and comment. We'd love to hear what you're taking away from these books as well. Thanks for joining us this week on another episode of What's on Your Bookshelf.